0: We laugh, we cry, we learn, but really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories hey everyone welcome to the latest episode of client horror stories um we have a treat tonight with tom schwab who is here and i'm drinking some whiskey because i know this story is going to be fun and i and i am all ready for it how are you doing tom?
1: i am awesome morgan uh, thrilled to be here
0: that's um that's great now uh, Let's jump right in. I'm I'm psyched to hear your excited story. Tell me the horror story.
1: It may not sound like a huge story to other people, but it was huge to me because it really struck at my heart of not wanting to disappoint people or not to think there's an integrity breach, right? That we promised more than we delivered. So what we deliver is we help thought leaders get on podcasts so they can get their message heard. So people hire us, and so the the onboarding went great. Right, we got through it really quickly, and we got the person on a podcast, and we were thrilled. It was a top five percent podcast, and she was thrilled, and the uh, the interview was recorded right away. I think it was a Monday. And so we're all high-fiving each other. It's like, this is going great, <sighs> right? She's going to be happy. This is going to work great for her. And then about uh, Friday, I get this nasty, mad email where she is irate. And you know what, Morgan? She was irate because it was five days in here and no one from her podcast interview, had visited her site, given her a lead, um, gotten any sales out of it, and she was just she was just so mad because this is not what we talked about. Not one. And, and and so she was mad, and I, I felt awful. And I started to ask her questions, and I'm like, well, it was just recorded. No one's heard it yet, and she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, this is a podcast, right? Five days into it, it's the host and maybe the editor, right? They've got to uh, to record it, to, to edit it, to put it out there. And she was so disappointed. She's like, well, I thought I would get results much quicker than this. And I realized that it wasn't her fault. She was mad and she had every right to be mad because I didn't explain it to her. She didn't understand what podcasting was all about. She thought it was, it was like radio. And as we started to talk about it, um, she got madder, right? Don't try calming somebody down. If they want to be mad, let them vent. Let them, uh, let them, uh, let them be mad. Let, get, uh, let them get it out of their system before you interrupt and try justifying yourself. So as I tried to explain her, well, this isn't how podcasts work. It's going to take time. And she's like, and I also was very upset because I was talking to the podcast and he said that he only got 10,000 downloads per episode. Why am I on such a small podcast? And at this point I'm blown away, right? Because she was on a podcast that was the top 5%. You know, the average podcast gets Gets 150 downloads per episode. The top 1% get 35,000. Right out of the gates, man, we got her on a great one. And I asked her, well, why do you think that's small? And she was very confident in her answer. She said, well, the other day I was on a radio show and it got 4 million listens. And I was like, wow, that is a big show, right? Uh, That's a lot. And I said, "Well, what show was it?" And she goes, oh, "I don't know. It was it was some station out of Indianapolis." And at this point, I'm going, "I think they had a reach of four million. That meant everybody yeah. the signal went to um, was was counted in there." I said, "That's not how many people were actually listening to you, or that's not how many people were, were tuned into that station at that time." And I said, "Here's you know, ten thousand people." that we're listening to you. And, and the studies say that 70% listened to the entire thing. And I don't think the data was helping me, right? Um, because it was an emotional argument that she had, not, uh, not a data-driven one. And trying to solve a problem that you already made is tough, right? And as I look back on it, the biggest problem was is we didn't communicate to her of what the timeline was going to be, um, what uh, what the audience size was, what was typical, what to expect, and so with that we just let somebody else define what success was for her. And you know I, I could be mad and say, well, it wasn't fair. She should have known that. But she hired us because we're the professionals. We should have told her. And, uh, you know, if I would have said, well, it's a crazy customer, well, then it gives her all the power, right? What could we do right. to have avoided this problem in the first place? And it's much easier. Uh, I realized there to educate them and have that hard conversation at the beginning than when they call yelling. Right. And so, so right. with that, and, and um, So with that, it was like, we got to change the things so that we educate them before that. And, you know, if uh, we left that phone call. She was still mad. She had lost confidence in us. She wanted her money back. We had a six-month campaign that we had all set up for. We'd done all the background work for it. And, you know, she wanted to cancel it after two weeks. And I understood that, but I also was confident that she was going to get great results from this. So. I I proposed this idea. I said, you know, you're supposed to be charged again in another couple of weeks. I said, I will not charge you again. But let's touch base the day before that. And I promise you that if you're not happy, then I'll not only not charge you, I'll give you your money back, right? Because like I said, the, the thing that ate my soul was that she thought that I had lied to her, that we hadn't hadn't delivered. Advance. And the, the only thing we've really got in life is our reputation, right? Totally. So we left there and I think she was very, very skeptical, right? Um, but at least we had a plan. So fast forward now, oh, probably 10 days later, the podcast episode actually went live. And what happened is just what I predicted, right? People heard her. They resonated with what she had to say. They came back to the website. They saw their web traffic go way up on that day. They saw the leads. They had calls that were scheduled, sales calls. And it's like, wow, this just it's just like I predicted, except I didn't give her the right time frame on that, and that was on right. me. So she called and said everything is good, and, and it was great because it it built the trust back up there. But I looked at it; there was quite a few things in there that I did that messed it up, right? So first of all, I That's didn't, this? yeah, I I didn't educate the customer, and the more I thought about it. It's like the, the analogy that I could think in my mind was if if I got cancer, the doctor gave me chemotherapy and I come back two weeks later, I rape because my hair's falling out. Well, if I've never had it before, if I didn't, if I wasn't familiar with that, of course, I'd be mad. Right. I, I came through <laughs> <for> your morbid <laughs> metaphor. Well, you know, it's. But it's the same. it's the same thing you don't it's not it's not something you don't have cancer um every six months so you don't know and <laughs> I, right. I i i can i came to self, cancer I, every six months well and the other thing too is you know i don't have that much hair so as it starts to fall out that's even worse <laughs> right i i came for you to yes. cure my cancer and uh you accelerated my baldness this, this <laughs> isn't gonna work but I looked at it there and thought I I had a part in this and that I wasn't clear. I, I, I didn't so set that out. Makes sense. So let's talk about managing
0: expectations up front. You should have made that clear. It's a good lesson. I think an interesting point is a challenge I've had many times is I think I make it clear. I think I explain it, but the other side, the other person just doesn't get it. So what I what my instinct is you don't need to only make it clear, you need to make it over the top clear. Thing like things like that you need to like tell them verbally, then send it to them, here's a document in writing with the expectations. Then remind them before before the recording, hey, this isn't live. Then and then it just it's you people have to be hit over the head in order for something to really resonate including client expectations. Yes.
1: And we started to use visuals in there, too. Uh, That's that's a good one. To because, be even- yeah, there's a, this whole Gantt chart that says this is what happens at week one. This is what it's going to look like at week mm-hmm. two. And it's great because every conversation that we have, we go back and. That conversation is a follow-on to the previous one. So in onboarding, it's like remember when you did your discovery call and your roadmap call? Um, we talked about this. This is where we are in it right now. And if it does come up where there's a question of, well, I don't remember that. Instead of saying we told you, we we, we told you, just to pull up the slide that we showed them beforehand and say, remember when we talked about this? and sometimes people well i don't i don't remember all the details well, that's why there was a picture on the screen right so you know and people don't remember every everything but at least to go back there and have that consistency because i think the most powerful lesson in there was that trust is easily lost and if it starts to, to slide down there It's really, really, really hard to get back, Um, you know, and and going back to the medical um, example there, not to be, you know, grim or something like that, but you think about any medical procedure or doctor, they always tell you sort of that worst case scenario, you know, this could be good, but it also could cause all these things too, right? So at least they put it out there and it's like, oh, you know, uh, good. At least it didn't cause that. Um, whereas I think sometimes we want to get, we want to get the sale so much. Okay. Not we, sometimes I'm so anxious to help people is that I know this will work for you and telling them, I like,
0: I like how you reframe that. Sometimes we want to get the sale so much. No, no, no. I want to help people.
1: (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. I I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to say we, right? Because um, it's not. I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for myself. And it's not that just I want to close the sale and, and get the, the PO. Know. But it's like these oh, people, Mark, and I know I can help you. But it's got to be their informed decision, and, and give them give them everything or, in there. Or. Because at the end of the day, we don't want another client. We don't want another customer. We want a long term relationship there. And, um, you know, I've seen even when there's a little bit of a glitch in a relationship, sometimes how you react to that makes it better, right? I think one of the hotel companies did something where they said that when there was a problem at check in and they were able to rectify it quickly, that people were actually happier. Right so if you get there and you're missing towels and you call and somebody's right there with them all right uh, they realize everybody's human but boy they they took care of that and so i think but
0: i i think i think that's an important point but i think it's even stronger than that because in any complex or professional relationship there are going to be problems there are going to be bumps and by the other person seeing very early how you deal with bumps in a professional healthy way that ends up building confidence so I think it's actually good to have small bumps in the beginning to build up a lot of trust so the trust is there for
1: when the bigger bumps happen later on so that they don't really freak out do you do you think you should tell them about the bumps of these are the concerns you're going to have at month two and month three to get them uh, ready for those even
0: so by the way everyone has a different style so so I'm about to tell you what I do and I don't mean to recommend that to you or or any of our dear listeners but my my personal style is to is to articulate all the problems and uh, or let's say all the risks and, so, and like way up in the wind I always do uh, risk minimization docs for a marketing campaign no matter what it is and something I found is by forcing a risk minimization conversation early before they barely know you because you're just starting to work with them, it builds a massive amount of trust because they want your job is to think through the problems and and, and and how to avoid them in any profession, from a marketer to a lawyer to a doctor, like your like your job is to see what's gonna go wrong and stop it. Secondly, as a professional, you're going to know, be more tuned to the risks and what's likely to happen. To the problem than this newbie who knows nothing about the industry because they they hired you. So it's a way to show off your expertise because you'll be like, oh, there, there's likely this bump and this bump and this bump. They'll be like, oh, I didn't even think of that. Of course they didn't think of that because they're not the lawyer, they're not the marketer, they're either, they're they're uh, they're you're, you're you're the professional. So 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 I. I happen I happen to really like doing that
1: as um as w- one of my discovery exercises. And that makes a lot of sense because now it puts you on their side of the table, right? So you're helping them, you're you're telling stuff that may actually hurt your position and help their position, but it shows that you're working together, not not an adversarial role the other thing too is anything i think that you can do to build trust at any point is going to help you in the long term right um I, I think of my bride i i trust her it's either implicitly or explicitly right if she hit me over the head with a, a frying pan i think yes. my first reaction would be wow that must have been a huge fly right because i would give her the benefit of the doubt that she would never hurt me or do totally. something bad. Whereas other people, you know, they, um, if there's not the trust there and you see this in politics, right. And no matter what the other side does, um, you know, no matter what they do, it's, it's evil.
0: And, and, but by the way, this, I, I agree with that. And this is interesting in a, the context of thinking about clients in any profession, because when you start working with a client, by definition, they don't know you, they're your new client. Because they're new, they haven't yet seen how and how how you work. So it's a, so it's important for the first month to keep it to to view the first three or six months because it's rarely before three months at the earliest. Often six months before you see how someone really works and, tr- and trust is really built. That um, that that's really a trust a, a, a trust building exercise and risk and. Articulating, discussing risks is 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 one way to do it, and then there's some other ways to do it that, that relate directly to your story. And one of those is over communication, which goes to the point I, I was saying earlier that that you not only should you have communicated it to the client, I would have said you should over communicate, like remind, 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 remind. Like however strongly you think you need to make a point to a client, you need to make it. 10 times as strong in order in order for it to get through
1: and I, I agree with you on that and often i find there's document documenting and communicating Yes. right so often well, well it was in an email right um or um you know it was it was in that standard operating agreement to the contract you signed well, I, i'm sorry i don't i didn't read all 27 pages of that Now, granted, ours is is a two page, but I always um, wonder if I'm documenting or communicating. And the only difference to me is documenting is I have it there. Communicating means that I know that they understand it. So, you know, different people communicate in different ways. So did you tell them, did you show them, um, you know, was right. it, well, how many times did you do put it in there? It wasn't that, well, I communicated it to them. Uh, you know, it's, it's printed in three places in you know, uh, 10 different emails or something, or even ask them, do you understand that? Does that, does that make sense? Is that what you were looking for? Yeah. So I, so I think the more
0: important the issue, the more it makes sense, that for you, or let's say the more important is for you to confirm that the information was received. So if it's something unimportant, if it's on page 27 of the contract, it's an unimportant point, it doesn't matter. However, like when it will go live, the expected number of visitors, the expected response is so so important. It's the sort of thing where you want to put in writing and look them in the eye and tell them. And then, and by the way, they're like even stronger ways like, like there's some sort of things that's like, please confirm receipt of this information. And they have to like check a checkbox or uh or send an email in order to in order to write out to confirm that they did it. So there's like levels of strength that you can go to, to make sure
1: that they that they actually got it. And to me, I think timelines are really important for people. You know, if it's building a house or or getting any project, um People forget that they cause delays, and Ooh, they st- that- they they still want it delivered on time, right? Um, you know, I think you know if my taxes are due April fifteenth, um, the accountant better get them in there. I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember. Oh yeah, I didn't get them the stuff till like March fifteenth. So you know, if you can be very clear of this is when it'll be delivered, provided you can get us all of this stuff. And that's something we've done more in the, um, in the chart that we show them. And now granted, it's a generic one now, but it says, this is when we start. This is when the interviews, you know, recorded. This is when we expect it to go live. Um, And then before we actually engage, we'll say, okay, so if you start today and we'll go back to that slide. So it's going to be, Two weeks for this, so that's going to be you know this date. Then another couple of weeks for here, uh, but then always come back. That's provided, you know that you that you start today. Uh, all the rest of that. I think I think that's really good. What what's something I
0: like about our episode so far. Is that, is that one of the themes, at least from, from my side that I'm making, is overcommunication, which is a new point. Because in previous episodes, I've spoken a lot about communication, but not about overcommunication, which is a very important point. I always like to get a new point out. So in the in the frame of mind of my argument tonight of, of the importance of overcommunication, I would say it's not just that the accountant needs to say, well, we'll have your taxes uh, filed by April 15th, provided you, provided you respond in a time away to, to, uh, to each of our emails. I like I would like I would just super over communicate that if I were to count it in this example, I would say, I would put in the original contract and I would say, hey, anytime we ask you a question, we need a response within 48 hours. And then not just by telling that verbally when we start, every single question I, I send them, I would repeat at the end, hey, my question about this deduction, blah, 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 blah. By the way, I want to remind you, we need the answer within 40 hours in order to ensure that' we're that, that we can file it on time. And like if every question just repeats it, then it hammers it in. And by the way, I think a lot of people don't do this because I think a lot of people think if you say it once, the information is likely to receive. And also people don't want to be annoying. Who wants to be the annoying asshole that just says the same stupid reminder over and over and over? But my argument is that's the only way to like really make sure that that, that the message uh, got through and reduce the probability of these sorts of, of, of
1: misunderstandings. And I like how you phrase that because it's not just I need this back within 48 hours per the agreement, but you tied it into what they want, you know, in order for this to, uh, to be filed on time and avoid penalties, all the rest of that. It's vital that, uh, that you get us the answer within 48 hours. So tying it into what they want um, to give them the, the encouragement to do that. Yeah. And, and by the way, I think I, I know a lot of
0: people so, and sometimes there's some versions of me. I'm the same way, too. If I get an email from my accountant. I'll be like, OK, I'll go into my queue. But as soon as I see it in 48 hours, it like clicks in my mind. It's like, OK, it's their policy. So it's what they need. I'll make sure it's responded to within 48 hours.
1: And I, there's a quote that I remember seeing. It either came attributed to Bill Gates Or um, Abraham Lincoln, right? Everything on the internet is Abraham Lincoln. And it said that email is a great way to share information, but not always a great way to communicate. So when we talk about over communicating, it doesn't just mean sending more emails, right? If they haven't responded to the last two or three emails, to send them another one probably isn't going to do it. And so, you know, one of the things we always, you know, teach our people is ask them how they want to communicate, right? Do they want text? Um, I can think of one client right. we work with guy's a genius, but he's dyslexic. If you give him a long email, he won't read it. If you send him a, a text and ask him five questions, you're gonna get one answer and you won't know what answer of those five questions it is. And so we know with with him just jump on a quick call or better yet, send him a quick video that asks the one question do that he'll get back to you right away and with that too then you know that video there's no i've never had a typo in a video so it doesn't come off bad with autocorrect and the tones there and i think it's also harder to ignore um either an email or a text that has a video Because now somebody's just asked you nicely for something. There's a face to it. It's like, I get lots and lots of emails. Those are easy to to, to put in the folder and get to later. But what I would add to that is from my eyes, there's a hierarchy
0: of communication methods. And the more important the subject matter, the more you want to go up in the chain of importance of communication. So like the least important communication is like, Text message—it's ephemeral; it like disappears immediately. And then a bit more important than um, than than, uh, than text messages is email. Uh, like it's there, it's fine, but like email—do people read it? It gets lost. A bit more serious and important than email is um, doc, like a Google doc or an MS Word doc. Oh, you wrote it. What, what, what could have been an email? putting that same information in a doc, like that serious. And then like, and then there's like the, um, and then there's like the doc, like on paper or the doc with lawyers, but then even more important than even more higher level than docs is, um, is video conference real time where you talk, where you talk to them. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, uh, and then at the top, is in person like they're really 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 important stuff like when a billion dollars are at stake the few stake future of the world is at stake you take a plane and you fly to them and you meet and and you meet and you look in the eye so so to me whether whether you go from email from text email doc, you know call video uh in person has to do with with a with the seriousness or importance of of the issue at hand so if it's like a minor little issue you can text it to them if there's a real misunderstanding you want to like get on a call but then the huge misunderstanding like hey let's meet at the cafe on the corner and and then talk eye to eye
1: as you were saying that it almost reminded me of like the eviction process right they'll, they'll send you some emails that tells you you're late oh yeah then you get a letter then you get the certified letter. Then Please. you get the. Then you get the sheriff knocking at your door. That's that's a big communication problem when the sheriff knocks at your door. It, 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 it's exactly. So 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 I so
0: I like uh, I like the point that there are different communication methodologies. Some people prefer text. Some people prefer voice. But I think it's important to keep in mind that there's the that there's this hierarchy and and when things become more important, you have to use different ones and. And it's similar with clients. So What often happens to me is if I give someone a message and I think they didn't get it, let's say I send them something over email two times and they don't respond. Then uh, then they may not have gotten their message. They didn't respond to my last two emails. Then what you can do is you can change the media, change the format. They didn't respond to emails. Okay, I'm just going to send them a text message. They respond to the text message. I'm just going to give them a call. So changing the media also lets you play with this higher hierarchy of effect of of, of trying to reach them and communicate what you need to communicate in,
1: in, in different ways. And I would think that using the right communication also sets the tone for how important it is. So if everything needs an important person needing all of a sudden, yes, good point, then, good point. then nothing is important. You can't have everything being priorities there. Do you think it's also who communicates it? Because at times I can Ooh, bring up, good point. think of, but, you know, maybe one of my team members does it. If they don't get the response, you know, then I might have to call the customer and say, you know, they were having a hard time getting in touch with you. Uh, so that that's there. You know, I have more gravitas, if you will, being having the initials behind my name.
0: <laughs> I, I think the fact that you have less hair than you had 20 years ago gives you some gravitas. <laughs> uh to positive of that um no but that's actually a really good point i hadn't thought of it until you said but i but i i totally agree you can have the low-level person in the company contact them and as a band if the low-level person can't clear it up the misunderstandings there or there's still ambiguity then you have the mid-level person like until it eventually come like comes up to the to the big boss
1: himself Well, I've heard that says the more gray hair you have, the more you can charge. That's why I grew grew the beard, you know, figured, oh, that that should be worth some extras, right?
0: (laughs) Maybe you really have black hair, but you dye it gray just so you can charge more. And so I don't get carded. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Speaking of carded, I'm going to have some more. more. (laughs) Um. No, but but by the way I, l- I i like this framework that that we're that we're developing here about the about um it's not just communication where we start out by the one of the lessons of your stories is the importance of communication then we're emphasizing that with not just communication but over communication but now we've been diving into the nuances because you because the implication of your point is really interesting you can't just over communicate because if everything is a bomb if I if i send a Dozens of emails every day reminding them of everything, then nothing becomes important as as, mm-hmm. as you say. So what you also need to do is you is you need to have a good radar or train your team to have a good radar for the for to listen to what's likely been understood or not and how important are, are things or not. And then based on that, escalate the communications in the uh in, in these uh, in the uh, in, uh, in these different levels of the sort that we've been talking about.
1: Yes. And I think there has to be a continual flow of communication um, so that we communicate not just during challenging times, but in good times too. So that if the only time um, the client ever calls is when there's a problem, the only time we ever communicate is when there's a problem. Um, I think that can be Detrimental to the trust in the relationship, or at least put tension. Right? If all of a sudden, oh, got an email from them, something must be wrong. So I, I think making sure that that flow of communication, that flow of trust, so they're used to um, having that. Um, because the other thing I've seen is that in the lack of information, people will make their own decisions, and it's not always the the right answers. And I think it's not. I agree with that. It's not just
0: with the lack of communication, people make their own decisions, but I think there's something in the mind of most humans. It's probably really to like the Eve, of the bite of apple, and the fall of man, these bad ideas. People have that. I think when there's little communication, people tend to assume the worst. So like if I, if I hire a software developer and he asks me lots of questions, if he has asked me a question every single day, I assume he's working on the software. If I hire a software developer and I don't hear from him for a month, I like, like, I like, I like, I assume he's like disappeared and and isn't and and uh, and, and and isn't doing isn't doing anything. Like, you just assume the worst when when there's very
1: little communication. And that's a great example because he can't show you the product when it's fifty percent done or it's seventy five percent done. And so with that lack of it, you think it's 0% done, even to ask those questions and give the updates that says, here is the progress we have made. Now, we might not have results yet, but here's the progress and we're on track, we're behind track um, and and we're very, very transparent in that. Um, I've always looked at it as like, people will say, well, don't share the bad news with them. Well, they already know the bad news. Right. There's it's already the elephant in the room. If you're if you're past due, they know it's past due. So oh. be the first one to bring it up there and say, this is why this is what we're doing to um, to correct it, um, you know, to to get the bad news out there, because it, it puts it in context. At least they realize that, you know, it. and you're taking responsibility for it also. I love it. Um, I, I agree with that. To share
0: a little weapon from the Morgan arsenal of weapons, building on the example that I just gave a moment ago, I judge people by the questions they ask me. Like I judge if they're working by the questions asked. Said differently, you hire any professional to do anything in any industry, any discipline, no matter what, they're going to have questions. You go to the doctor, no matter what it is, the doctor is going to ask you something. Because whatever the doctor sees, he's going. it's going to trigger a thought or a possibility, and he's going to want, want clarification to see if it's this, this or this. So, like, when software developers or doctors or anyone asks questions, you're like, okay, they're thinking about it. So, um, uh, so to me, and when people don't ask questions, like, the guy disappears, like, if he says, I'm wor- working on it, it's not just, even if he doesn't disappear, even if he is, even if he, if I say, "Hey, how's it going?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I'm working on it." That one is always going to have a worse outcome than the one that asked me the question, because the one that asked me the questions is uh, is trying to figure out my preferences, what I want, what I'm looking for, how like how I and my my objectives in building it in a way that the the genius that's not asking anything he he, he can't read my mind because he's merely immortal. So uh, so. Questions are really powerful and I flip it on my head and I and I and I judge people by the question they ask me. But not just that, I do this with my clients of like knowing this subconscious dynamic is happening. I do this with my clients and I purposely ask lots of questions. And not just at once, not just on day one, I purposely ask questions spaced out over time. So they see that I'm thinking about it and it's on
1: my mind. Do you think their questions? Reflect to how much they care about it, how how passionate they are about it, how curious they are, or how how committed. Or is it an intelligence thing?
0: I would add my a, a bit of both, but my instinct is more on the former, more how passionate they they are about it. Like said said differently, you go to a doctor and you say hey, I have this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, the doctor has seen it a million times. So the doctor already knows just based on what you say that there's a 90% chance it's this thing. So the so the doctor without the passion that just wants to like get the insurance to pay him the $50 and just, you know, just wants to check the box and finish it. He'll like, you'll say the symptoms and the doctor will know 90% chance it's this, he'll say, yeah, 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 you just have a cold, here's a prescription for some cold medication, like, you'll, you'll be fine, but it's the doctor with passion that will think, well, there's a 10% chance that it's this or this or this or this, let me just, let me just put in the emotions and thought and use my mind to ask some probing questions to see, to see if I can eliminate this 10% other options or discover or discover if, 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 it,
1: if it really is that's an interesting take on it I, I had left out the passion portion because when I was in college um, there was three summers that I worked at Los Alamos National Lab, the bomb factory in New Mexico and at the time it had the most PhDs per square acre any place in the world. <laughs> And it was interesting because sometimes it'd be very confusing and you couldn't tell who was the scientist and who was the janitor because it was very, very laid back. And I remember someone told told me at the time, they said, the person that keeps asking you the questions is the scientist, the person that is just looks disheveled, right? Just like the scientist, they're probably the janitor because they know everything they need to know it's the scientist that's still trying to figure it out and wants everybody's opinion on it and i always thought it was intelligence but i think you're right where it's it's not only that it's the passion that questioning um all that and how engaged are they with it
0: because i think there are lots of intelligent people who don't care yeah i've seen it a million times it's it's, it's, it's probably this. So like so it's, so maybe it's applied intelligence is yeah. asking questions is intelligent people applying it. And you only apply your intelligence, like when you feel passionate or engaged, like, like, like we've all had client engagements where like at a certain point, you just like, like right before you ended those last weeks, before you end the client engagement, I uh, like, that's that's when you lose interest and that's the time where like you stop asking the questions you stop you stop applying your mind even though your mind is just as sharp as it was a a year earlier before the engagement is about to finish
1: yeah the questions the questions show you're curious and also that you care and that you're engaged by the way i really like your comparison of just
0: asking questions as the as a defining characteristic of scientists, I never thought about it before. I just asked lots of questions. That's my personality. And it's funny that like the brand I'm known by online and my, my marketing brand is I'm the marketing scientist.com. So it's like scientists. So I, so without even realizing it, not on purpose, I have this, this uh, sci- scientific approach of just really, really probing until I figure stuff out.
1: Uh, I I met so many people that, you know, they'd written the textbooks, multiple PhDs, and they were some of the most curious people I ever met because they they wanted to keep learning. They wanted to know what you learned, what you thought, and they wanted fresh eyes to it. So I, I think that's a good lesson for us after we've seen so many engagements, right? I've seen this problem before. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But uh, for the client, it's the first time. So asking them the questions, because often they learn as much from their answers, answering you as you do from answering, asking them the question.
0: Agreed. And to tie this back into your story and client heart stories, I think this is the exact subtext that you need in order to be always improving your processes so that you make probably you do mistakes once but then you don't do it again that uh like like said different said, said, said differently like the way you learn and become a better professional is when things go wrong trying to understand why they went wrong and changing how you do things so so it doesn't happen again and that starts that starts with ask asking these sorts of questions what did i do wrong how could i have i identified it earlier prevented it and then implementing these, these these sorts of processes you know, as uh, and um, questions to bring it back to the story so how have you changed uh, your processes to, uh, like as, as a result of the story to uh, to be more communicative
1: so the big question that you just brought up there is the one we ask, what was our part in this what could we have done better so as we look back on that now we're very very clear in not only, our um, our delivery, but even when we sell the product, so in our discovery calls, in our roadmap calls of what the engagement will look like, to show them exactly this is what the timeline is, this is the scale, this is this is what a big podcast is, this is what someone downloading or listening to a podcast means, and start to frame it in ways that they know, so not letting them compare it to. You know, how many people does this radio station reach? But going back to imagine if this was a a physical stage, right? Speaking to thousands, tens of thousands of people. So putting it in that and then also showing them pictures. So we're very big. We don't do the majority of our calls just on phone because I know Personally, when I'm on a phone call, I'm multitasking. I may hear some of it. I may not. You know, if you're in the car, it may cut out. I want their undivided attention. So, when it's something important to do it on Zoom, we'll record it and offer them a copy of it, not so much for documentation, but for communication if they want to share it with themselves or anybody in the team. By the way, like, I, what's interesting is in the
0: hierarchy of communication I articulated before. I was I thought of this before, but I but I never realized. It, uh, I thought of the hierarchy before, but what I think you're making me change the hierarchy because I hadn't realized until this very second that what's even more powerful than like a Zoom call is a recorded Zoom call. Like like it's recorded. It's on the record. This is going to be shared. Like, uh, like, and that—that that is much, much more. Like, if if this were if this call weren't being recorded, I could say whatever crazy things I want. But this is going to be recorded, and it's going to be online. So, uh, so it's fun. It's fun to learn more serious. So, this is another level of uh, to add into the seriousness scale.
1: And of the professionalism and the trust scale too.
0: Yes, because uh, because it it also builds up uh, uh, b- builds builds up trust uh, okay um i I like this I like this and um i I think these are these are healthy ways to improve and change your process. what I would also add is I also I, it's and this is an interesting subtlety I think we need not just see there's a problem and say okay, how can we change our process but what's the process for Noticing the processes that need to be changed, the meta version of this of this question, like said differently, okay, when we we have this thing, it's working fine. Now you hire someone else to do this part of the process, but when when this other person does it, they're just not paying attention to every little subtlety of the tone of voice and the questions and what's happening in the way that you are. So it's much more likely that they don't even realize that the things that the things that that are that are going wrong. Or could or, or or could go better. So it's uh, so it's interesting to ask yourselves, How can we do things differently in order to do that? So like in and, and with this example of recording calls, one possibility is okay, and like maybe we just like record calls or spot check sometimes record calls, and then have other people listen to them as an interesting form of um of of quality control and, uh, and but not just quality control of your team of saying okay. I hear the client is happy. I just want to like hear it in their own voice. And then while you're in the gym, you, 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 you can listen to what they're, what they're actually saying. That's an interesting variation of it.
1: And I think it's getting also to the root cause, right? Mm-hmm. That it wasn't just a problem because um, it was 12-point type when it should have been 18-point type. No, it was a communication problem. So how do we do that? How do we do it earlier? And one of the things I've learned in in all of the customer horror stories is they they build up, right? If it was addressed earlier, it wouldn't got to be a horror story. So trying to to diffuse it, trying to identify it um, early before it becomes the horror story. Totally. I I totally This has been very
0: insightful from your, from your, uh, from your uh, little story. We've extracted a whole bunch of insights and and new insights for me, at
1: least. Uh, Same, same here. The idea of the hierarchy of communications. I never thought about that, that each one has a different, different level and should be used at the right time. Yeah. That's that's powerful.
0: Yeah. I, I've even I, I, I that one I thought about before, and in, in fact, in, in my book Blood by Icons, I even have a chapter on that. So, so that's an older idea of that that I that I thought of once, but I but I now need to go back and like edit the chapter because I like I, I like the recording as like another level uh, uh another level of seriousness because I, I think uh, I I think it's a powerful addition to it. What I'll also add is for the different hierarchy. I think it where of communication medium goes on the um on the hierarchy it's about the a combination of the how ephemeral or not temporary the communication is versus how human it is like the like text messages are the least important and the least serious because they disappear like uh, like everyone deletes them or like you change your phone and they're, they're 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 gone email at least you sometimes keep but like Documents, legal documents, those are the things you keep forever. So like, so it's the more permanent changes, but then also the more closer to -to face-to-face, like me just sending a text message passive aggressively is like not face-to-face, but then like, like hearing your voice on a phone call is a bit closer. Seeing you is a bit closer. Being physically next to you is as close as it comes. So, So, so I think those are the two scales to think about it on.
1: Yeah, it's the richness of, con- of the conversation too, right? right. Uh, yeah, that and that's one of the reasons that I a lot of times will go to video because a I I type slow and the only thing worse than my spelling is my typing. So, you know, there's, there's typos in there, whereas it's often easier for me to just do a, a quick video and especially to the team because it not only communicates the information, but it also communicates the tone. And I don't know, it's, it just seems r- richer in there than you know, just sending them a text with the same information.
0: Something I started doing recently is sending people I work closely with Looms. It's my new favorite uh, tool. And it's like it's so weird because it just, you press a button and it does everything for you. It just gives you the URL and it records you and your screen and it makes it look so professional. And I found that it, it, it actually makes it much more like, like much more like you're talking to them, even even though it's just a, qu- a quick record message. And it's even faster than like writing out a
1: whole document. Especially when you drop the URL in there and it gives the title and it gives a little uh, GIF or GIF. Uh, that shows you movies, so, so there's that action there as we're scrolling totally. down. Totally,
0: this is great. This was this was um, a, a fun a fun conversation. Any final comments or wrap up things, or things you wanted to mention, or forget, or
1: uh, or should we call it a night? Well, I think one of the things that I just wanted to say again when we when we were talking, and uh, you put it in perspective, right? What's a what's a customer horror story? You know. My customer horror story, nobody got sued. Lawyers d- didn't get involved. Nobody died. Uh, nobody went bankrupt. But in my mind, that was a horror story because it it challenged one of the things I hold most dear, the reputation of our company and that we're delivering good service on there. So uh, whatever your customer horror story is, it's real to you. It's real to the customer. And there's real answers that we can get out of that on uh, the root causes so that we can fix that going forth because we all we all want to get better service we all want to give better service yeah
0: like so that, that's an interesting point i make makes sense a point on the a meta point on the heart series that i never thought about until this second uh just thinking about what you just said is how relative a lot of this is like some things are objective okay if you do something and someone dies that's like objectively horrible but um but short short of something like 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 that for like for example if someone calls you an asshole and then calls you the nastiest words in the book in a professional context and it's someone you respect like some people Mm -hmm. some people would be Emotionally destroyed by that and, and like, and like, would like never show up again, which is not Other people are like, oh, whatever, who cares what this Joker thinks, and just like, like, continue, like, nothing happened. So, so, so much of it is is dependent on, uh, dependent on you and your personality. As uh, like, like, the, the same thing it can be a nightmare or just, just something you laugh over and a funny story to tell. Yeah,
1: well, and. That- Thank you. I've learned a lot from this discussion and really unpacking the story uh, and ways that we can even more so go in there to avoid problems like this. And you know, communication is the, is the heart of that. I love how you said the over communicating, and then also the hierarchy of communication. And the and and I
0: and I also advocate a risk analysis in the beginning mm-hmm. to. To to build to build up trust, and but like even even in your 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 context, hey, I like like for for the for our inter, interviewees or um, or uh, people uh, people we're promoting the five most common problems we have, or the five most common reasons why why there are bumps or fails or these five things. I want to tell you these upfront because here is exactly what I want to do to avoid each one of those, bam, 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 bam. Just doing that, like if if I hired someone and they did that to me up front, I would be like, wow, like I took like this just builds up like so much trust. Like like and and this is kind of how I want everyone to dream. Like I want the to use your cancer, um like your cancer example. If uh if the if the if the doctor tells me to that that I need chemotherapy, I want the doctor to tell me. Here are the five biggest risk factors of the chemotherapy. One, you're likely to lose your hair. Therefore, here's what we should do in order to prevent that risk. You know, take this drug, do this thing, two, three, four, five. Like I think it's a
1: very powerful and professional way to treat people. Or even get their buy-in, as you were as you were saying that I was thinking oh. I was saying this, these That's are the a- five, these are the five reasons you're not going to get results from this. And to put those up there so that they they can see what could cause the problem, and because they can proactively address those.
0: No, exactly
1: because they're paying you all this money,
0: so they want to see results. And and by you doing this immediately, it puts the ball in your court, in their court. It affects. It's a nice way of saying if we fell, it'll oh, probably because you fucked up. And. And one of these things, so I'm going to mention this on day number one, so you can start getting into your subconscious, the things that you need to do in order to make sure it works. It's, just, it's a much nicer, more
1: professional way of, of making that sort of point, which, which is why I like it. It reminded me of a story a buddy of mine almost got fired by his cardiologist so he had a family history of heart disease he was young uh he went to the uh the doctor and after about a year the doctor said um you're gonna die early and he says i don't like my patients dying early it makes me look bad uh makes me sad um so if you're not worried about it um you know, you know, you're not going to be my patient. So he says, you know, you're going to die early, and you won't be my patient unless you do these these things um, by our next, you know, appointment six months from now. You know, lose the weight. Uh, you know, stop smoking. Other things like that. And it it, it was a wake up call to him. Right. Of that. It's not just me. It's you. And if we don't get results, it makes me look bad, too. You know, we're both in this together. Love That's that's a uh, another
0: version of this of this of the same sort of approach. And I use I use language like that, like that all the time. I only want to work with people who want to do their part of it. It's magical thinking to you hire a professional for anything no matter what it is that you hire a professional and they just disappear, click some buttons and suddenly your health is great. Your legal problems are solved. You're getting more clients, whatever it is. It's always this, this process of you two working closely together. So, so you need to be willing to, to do that up front. And this sort of risk analysis with here's what you need to do is, is a way to, is a way to vet who is likely to want to, be willing to do their 50 percent of what will need to be done.
1: Thank you Morgan this has been a great conversation and uh by the uh, the grace of the editor uh he'll he'll turn it into a great he or she will turn it into a great podcast that I uh, definitely and
0: everyone who made it end, I hope you had as much fun as we had talking about this Woo!